said earlier, we counted to about 30 different um, nations that we are ticking in from, and I think we're about 120 screens. Um, so including some with more than one person. I think you're gathering your staff. Uh, Johnny, is that right? Yeah, I think uh, I'm in a different room, though, because... I want to have my own wi my own Wi-Fi, <laughs> and not be not be reliant on our base Wi-Fi, which sometimes is a little unstable. So uh, that's true. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I think we're. It's about one thirty. Tova, should we yeah. kind of officially start this meeting? Yeah, let's do that. Um, well, everyone, it's uh, it's it's great that you're able to join us. Uh, I know after we organized this, we realized that today is a um, is a bit of a national holiday in many parts of Europe, um, the second day of Pentecost. Um, but in the UK and Ireland, we don't really recognize that as a national holiday for some reason. Um, so, uh, yeah. So anyway, so there's a few that couldn't make it today. Um, but the good thing is that this has been recorded. And uh, we'll be posting it on, um, on our ELLC page. So some of you may not have been so familiar with ELLC or the European Leadership Learning Community, but it's, I think it's been a really great initiative that we've done for this last year, um, kind of setting up this online kind of platform where we can listen to talks and uh, interviews and all kinds of stimulating uh, material. And so... Um, including the recordings of all of these FutureWise gatherings. So if you missed the last one with... Um, uh, Patrick Dixon. <laughs> Patrick, Patrick Dixon and uh, brother Thierry Marteau, you can find all the recordings there. Uh, and this one will also be recorded. Um, part of uh, today will also be breakout rooms. Some people like my base, you're in a big group. Uh, during that breakout room, I guess you may decide it's easier just to do the breakout room in your own kind of setting. Um, but for the rest of you, this is a great opportunity to kind of gather kind of staff from all over Europe. So, yeah, but good to see you, Tova. Where are you joining us from? From Denmark. Great. So I look very Scandinavian. It's hard not to look Scandinavian for me, actually. So, <laughs> yeah. I'm super excited about today. And I thought I'll just add for the ELC and um, for every month, there's a theme. And right now we actually have a, a theme over several months and it's a um, typical leadership pitfalls, we could call it. Um, so for, for this month, it has been um, the pitfall of money. You know, it's both a blessing and can be a curse, um, but it's how to, yeah, how to deal with it. And um, then the next one up, that is a focus on power um, and the last one on sex. Um, and I think it was um, a number of leaders, well-known leaders, they have kind of tried to protect themselves from these pitfalls um, in, as there are so many that has fallen. So I think we have a, a very good setup and lineup. And then I'm excited about the summer as well. We have a summer edition and that's focused on relax and uh, recharge um, and, and that type of a thing that some of us may have a hard time doing that. So there'll be a little bit of a very different way of doing it. Uh, short videos on uh, different leaders uh, speaking into these areas. So it's 
trying to relax and recharge while at the same time speaking. I think it's going to be interesting. I, I plan to do it from my kayak, so you can look forward to that. <laughs> okay, uh, brilliant. Well, um, why don't I introduce the first section of our um, speaker? Maybe just to quickly give a rundown of, of, this, of the schedule today. Later, um, a little bit later, Tov is going to be introducing our kind of, I guess you could say our keynote speaker, which is Dr. Ruth Perrin. Um, uh, but first, let me introduce the first part of it, which is when we were thinking about a, a plan for the what FutureWise could look like, we wanted to have uh, voices, particularly from outside of YWAM, that could challenge us and stimulate us about the future um, and what the future could look like. Um, and so we, um, uh, that's part of our, how we designed the, the uh, program. And as we also then designed it, we felt like, you know, in the, the word we often use, uh, radical, um, is a word that actually literally means to return to the roots. Uh, and if we want to be focused on the future, um, it often means that we're radical, but it often that radical doesn't always mean that we do crazy new things. Sometimes it's a returning to the roots and not just our YWAM roots, but the roots of our faith. Um, and so uh, last month, we invited uh, Brother Thierry to speak to us from a Benedictine tradition. Uh, this month, it's a real privilege to invite um, one of my dearest friends, uh, Jelena Hines, um, and she and her husband uh, church planting in the Methodist Church in Ireland. Uh, they are also are pioneering fresh expressions of, of the Methodist Church. Uh, they were missionaries in India for eight years, nine years, and they were also YWAMers. And um, uh, Jill is also part of the Jesus Collective uh, in, in Europe that's come from uh, Bruxy Cavey's church and is also involved with the Order of the Mustard Seed with 24-7 prayer. So um, Jill is someone who really models contemplative prayer in her lifestyle, and uh, she's also very gifted in leading times of, of kind of reflection and prayer. So we've invited Jill to lead us this morning, uh, lead us this afternoon uh, in a time. Uh, and the purpose of this is not just for her to do a talk, but to really lead us in a reflection and a kind of re worshipful, reflective space at the start of this meeting as we contemplate what the future could look like for YWAM. So uh, it's a great privilege to have you with us, Jill. I'm just gonna hand right over to you to take it from here. Thank you, Johnny, thanks. Hi, everybody, it's lovely to be a part of this. I'm looking forward to hearing what Ruth has to say. Um, but yeah, as Johnny was saying, I uh, would love to just lead you in a bit of a spiritual practice this morning of centering prayer and um, of uh, some meditation. Um, some worshipful meditation. Uh, I was reading this morning in Hebrews 11, that great um, faith chapter where um, we are, we read so much about where, you know, it's by faith that Abraham and Moses and Ruth and all these people went through the lineage, you know, and um, just a real sense, it's real awareness that actually um, their faith, they went into very unknown futures, um, but they knew who they were going into those futures with. And that's the difference that made all the difference. And so as we look into the future this morning or this afternoon, really, and as we um, start to think about what that unknown future could look like, um, I am just aware that it's very easy for us to stay very much in our heads. It's very easy, especially as leaders, to be um, 
uh, heady people. And while that's really important, it needs to be balanced very much with our heart as well, because as those things that come into our head and our minds drop into our spirits and our hearts, that's when transformation happens. So we need that good balance between head and heart. So in talking with Johnny and, and uh, in talking about what we want for this time, um, we wanted to really just sort of front load this time with, with a bit of centering and allowing the Holy Spirit just to give us um, that perspective. Um, as I was saying earlier, you know, it's very easy for us as leaders, I think, to go at the pace of our heads as well. And um, I don't know uh, many leaders um, that, that don't go at quite a frantic pace. <laughs> I know I do often. And um, I think it's really important. Um, and we all know it's the spiritual practices, don't we? The spiritual disciplines of taking time and allowing the spirit to settle into our into our own hearts. Um, and so we want to just take a little bit of time to do that today. So if you just think about even in this last few minutes when Johnny was talking and then when I was talking, um, how many thoughts have you had in that in those last few minutes? Our minds are incredible things and they really are um, these multi-layered things where we can have actually hold several thoughts at one time while we're listening, while we're speaking, while we're eating, while we're going places, we're always thinking, always layering, you know? And if you think even take a moment now, just to think what have been the last few things that you've thought about, even as I've been talking just in the last few minutes, have you thought about your list today of things that need to be done? Have you um, thought, oh, I must email that person after this Zoom is finished? Or have you sort of thought, oh, I really hope that we get to talk about such and such a subject? Just think about how many things that you've thought about in these last few minutes. What word would you associate with those thoughts, with that space? Would it be busy, maybe full or fraught? Not many leaders I know would describe their minds as a wide open spacious place. Yet time and again, God describes his presence as quiet, peaceful, and restful. And we know that oftentimes the place where we've had the most transformation is in his presence. So as we search together today for that good path, we want to just take some time to just still ourselves and become aware of the Trinity's presence here with us. To drop into our hearts and become aware of the space that is there. The rest that we're invited into where the ego is set aside and our true selves are seen and loved entirely as they are. So over the next few moments, I'm gonna lead you in a spiritual meditation and we'll do some Lectio Divina, which is divine reading. And I'll also lead you in some Visio Divina, which is divine seeing 
And then as we finish, I'll just lead us in a prayer. Just remember as well as we do this, there's no right way to do it. We're simply making space and giving the spirit time. So if you'd like to, if you could just make sure that your microphone is muted so that we don't get interrupted by background noises. I've got kids in the background here. So if you hear anything, hopefully uh, they'll be quiet. <laughs> um, but if you can mute yourself, just make sure. And then also if you feel more comfortable, it's up to you. If you feel more comfortable to turn your um, video off uh, just while we take this time of personal um, meditation, feel free to do that as well. And we'll just begin. As we begin, just make sure that you're seated comfortably. And I'd like to invite you to close your eyes and take a few deep breaths. Breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth. And again, in through your nose, hold it, and out through your mouth. Now, as you are breathing deeply, just become aware that the Spirit of God is closer than your breath. We are in the presence of ultimate mystery. Like the air we breathe, the divine presence is all around us and within us. Distinct from us, but never separate from us. This presence is immense yet so humble, awe-inspiring, yet so gentle, limitless, yet so intimate, tender, and personal. I know that I am known. Everything in my life is transparent in this presence. It knows everything about me, my weaknesses, my brokenness, and still loves me infinitely. Here in this presence, we surrender our ego. We surrender our pride. This presence is healing, strengthening, refreshing, just by its presence. It is non-judgmental, self-giving, seeking no reward and boundless in compassion. Here in this presence, we wait patiently. We sit in silence, openness, and quiet attentiveness. 
We're going to take some time of Lectio Divina now. I'll read through a couple of scriptures several times. And as I do, just allow the words to wash over you and see what the Spirit is drawing out. This is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the godly way and walk in it. Travel its path and you will find rest for your souls. This is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the godly way and walk in it. Travel its path and you will find rest for your souls. The Lord says, stop. Look. Ask. Walk. Travel. Rest. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, at the crossroad, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back to your mother's homes. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. So Naomi and her two daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living. And they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, at the crossroad, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back to your mother's homes. But Ruth replied, Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Mike has put up a picture here by Cody Miller, the artist Cody Miller, and it's entitled Ruth and Naomi's Journey. And I'd just like to invite you to take some time to open your eyes and to look deeply. 
into this picture and see what stands out to you. Ask the spirit to show you the symbolism that he wants to show you. We're just going to leave a few moments just for you to look deeply. Let's pray together. And so are we gathered here uniquely in all of history. We particular people in this singular time and place. Accomplish your purposes among us, O God. Tune our hearts to the voice of your spirit. And wake us to be present to you and to one another in these shared hours that we are given. For it is you, O Lord, who have so gathered us from our various places, and you alone who know our hearts and our needs. Among us are some who arrive anxious, some who are lonely, some who suffer pain or sorrow. May we in our joys find grace to enter the sorrows of others. Among us are some who arrive rejoicing, hearts made light by glad news, good health, and glad anticipation. May we, in our sorrows, find grace to embrace the joys of others. Let us prize these moments and care for one another deeply, for each of us and our relationships to one another are precious and fleeting.
Breathe upon our gathering, O Spirit of God. Remind us afresh that you hold the past and the future in your hands and that there is nothing to fear or to judge. We can trust in your love. Grant each of us a place to humbly receive and to faithfully serve, that we might know in this brief gathering a foretaste of that greater communion yet to come. O Father, Mother, God, enlarge our hearts. O Holy Spirit, expand our vision. O Christ Jesus, establish our, your kingdom among us. Be at work even now, O Lord, and may your will in us in these hours be accomplished. Amen. Thanks, Jill. Um, thanks so much for uh, taking the time. I'm reminded as, uh, as Jill was leading us that, um, you know, there's a Center for uh, Contemplation and Action in the United States. And one of their kind of basic uh, foundational premises is that if we want to do action, we actually have to also be doing contemplation. And um, Richard Rohr, when he founded that center, he said they started off doing about 50-50. And they realized as time went on that they needed more, that if you're going to be doing action, you needed to be doing a lot more than 50% contemplation and prayer. And so, Jill, you've started us off with a, a kind of a beautiful um, atmosphere of kind of being aware of God's presence with us and um, so that we can be also people of action. So thanks, Jill, for starting us off. And I'm going to hand over to Tova and she's going to take it from there. On, on mute here. I also want to say, say very much yeah, a big thank you. That was just beautiful. Um, and I could stay in that mode for a while. We'll have to be afterwards. But I have the great privilege to uh, introduce to you Ruth Perrin. Um, and uh, I can't say I know Dr. Ruth Perrin, but I know Ruth Perrin from way back. <laughs> so... Um, we were in Myram together over 20 years ago, I think it is, and we even did a school together. But we are not talking about that one. <laughs> no. Um, but even to just make a link to what we just did, I, I know you wrote a piece on searching for sisters. Is that correct? Yeah. The influence, the influence of biblical role models on young women from mainstream and charismatic evangelical traditions. So I just found that out in the... In the in reading up on you, Ruth. So um, that could be an interesting piece as well. So yeah, so I'm excited to, very much excited about today and to get to know Dr. Ruth Perrin and some of your, some of your research. Um, Ruth is based in Durham, England. Uh, you have uh, over 25 years of ministry experience with young adults in, in particular, but not only, and then gained your doctorate researching their faith. And uh, that's something we in Byram, uh, I think, at least in Europe, <laughs> are very much looking into as says, God, how can we reach this younger generation? How can the younger generation come back home? So you have an MA in theology and ministry uh, and BA in history as well. 
uh, and then a PhD from the Department of Theology uh, and Religion at um, from Durham U U uh, University. I know you work as a freelance um, trainer and speaker and writer, and there's quite a bit of writing out there. If you just make a, a Google search on Ruth, um, she's a research fellow at St. Um, John's College and an associate staff member at the King's Church in Durham, and many other things. Um, decades of experience um, in church and ministry leadership. But she's not just this very head and sharp. She is that, but she's also a bit of a party girl. She loves dancing. She loved dancing back then, and I think you still do. Uh, love gardening, traveling, um, and uh, hosting epic dinner parties. So just to bring you a little bit further down to our level here, you know. But so excited to have you, um, Ruth, and just can't wait to hear from you. Uh, some of your research, you've written several books. I hope you're going to advertise uh, your latest one, at least, uh, later on. Um, I think it's, I have downloaded it, but not been able to read it. It took me a long time in Denmark. You know, I was blocked from Kindle to go there. Um, so couldn't get it. Um, but yeah, the floor is yours, Ruth. Can I, can I just pray for you? Of course. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Always. Lord, we want to thank you so much for Ruth being willing to come and serve us in this way. We ask for your, for the words to flow easily. We ask for your anointing over her and that the communication will go straight to us, the receivers, Father, that you would, yeah, that Europe will be different in the future because of this talk today. So we ask for, yeah, for your way this afternoon. Amen. Amen. Man. Thanks, Tova. That makes me sound much more impressive than I am. Um, what I would say is that the last 25 years have just been trying to do the next thing God said and the next thing God said. And, you know, I did four years in YWAM and then the next thing. And here we find ourselves somehow with a PhD, uh, which is not a thing I ever thought would happen. But God thinks he's funny. So there we go. Um, so the plan um, for everybody um, is that I uh, we're going to we're going to break stuff down into two sections. Um, so I am going to give you a bit of kind of um, scene painting, if you like, the kind of meta narrative of uh, some of what's going on across not just Europe but Europe and the kind of Anglophile world. So a lot of uh, stuff today would apply to Australasia, it would apply to Canada. Um, yeah, America's a little bit different, the United States is a little bit different. Um, and then we'll just give you a bit of a bit of chance to kind of discuss and decompress because um, extroverts, our heads explode if we don't get a chance to do that. And then I've, um, Tova um, has asked me just to share a little bit on Gen Z. Now, I do have to confess, Gen Z are not my specialty. Um, I'm the queen of millennials, um, but hopefully I can give you some uh, some pointers, some some food for thought, really. So that is the plan. Um, so I am just going to share a screen because pictures always for the win. Um, 
And what I'm going to share, um, although it says European perspectives, obviously my research has all taken place in the UK. Um, so I, I'm kind of offering it rather than insisting this is correct. Uh, one of the things that I love doing with this kind of material is hearing from other people as to whether this is kind of truthful in their setting. So we're not going to worry about that. Tova's already um, mentioned some of the places people have come in from. Um, you are YWAM. You are well aware that the global picture for Christianity um, is shifting that the church is growing at an exponential rate in the global south, uh, that the Brazilian revival has been going on for some time now. Similarly, in China, um, there are, you know, hand over fist young Iranians coming to faith. Um, but the situation in Europe, as we are all well aware, is a little bit different. So I think we're going to try a little, a little bit of technological wizardry. I would like you, I think you're going to be sent a poll, here we go, is to click on which of those countries you think has the highest rate of young adults with no religious identity. So people that are faced with a questionnaire, what religion are you, tick none on a box. Where do, where do you think is, are the least religious countries? Oh, I like this. I like watching the numbers go up and down. That's fun. Oh, oh, interesting. Interesting. Okay, just going to give you another 30 seconds if you haven't voted yet. Which country you think has the greatest number of young adults, so those under the age of 30, that identifies having no religious belief. Okay, feels like people have probably, so you guys think that Sweden is the winner on this, followed by the UK, Czech Republic, with Spain coming in last. Okay, I will show you the actual answers according to recent research. Uh, we can get rid of those poll results. Thank you, Mike. Here are the actual numbers. This is from research that was published in 2018. You can see that the Czech Republic, 91% of young adults say they have no religious identity, but the rest of Northern Europe, although a little way behind, those numbers are pretty scarily high. Here in the UK, 70% of young adults, the, the population average is 51%, but that rockets amongst young adults. Um, the kind of the Southern European countries uh, and Eastern European countries with a stronger kind of Catholic narrative still have a higher percentage of people who identify whether they attend mass is anybody's guess but they still see themselves as having some kind of religious identity. In the UK, the breakdown on the 30% that do identify as having faith is basically three ways. 10% Catholic, 9% other of whom the bulk are Muslim, and 11% Protestant of whom uh, about half have an active faith. And before the pandemic, between two and 3% were attending church. 
and they were largely attending the same sorts of church. So I think this is important for you guys because I'm going to guess that most of your DTSs draw from this kind of young adult. There are only two to three percent of them in the UK and they're attending churches with internships. Um, yeah, so the numbers are really low. We, I believe, need to become like the leaders of Ithacar, <clears throat> who on a point of cultural change from the time of Saul to the time of David, uh, are described as understanding the times and knowing what the people of God should do. I think this is the, the, the thing that we as leaders in the European church need to be getting our heads around. We need to understand the times and then honestly be asking the Lord show us what to do because we have not been here before so what is going on broadly speaking there's been a long-term shift um you may be super brainy and have read charles taylor i have not i've just read people that have read charles taylor and he describes a cultural shift across europe and he describes these as secular one secular two and secular three Secular one might be uh, best seen in the Middle Ages, where the sacred and the secular intertwine together in daily life. If your cow got ill, might be a demon. OK, so the sacred and the secular completely intertwined. Um, secular two took place at the Enlightenment, the Reformation, um, where the sacred and the secular were sort of separated out. So science started to be able to explain some things. And we ended up with what was sometimes called the God of the gaps. So the things we couldn't explain by science, those were still God. Um, and he describes there being a turf war between science and religion for the hearts and minds of the population. Who is going to win? Um, I think it would be fair to say, if that's how we're measuring it, that the secular has won because now since the turn of the last century and a little bit before as far as our young adults are concerned secular is reality it's actually very difficult for young adults to believe in a spiritual dimension um, philosophers sometimes refer to this as the disenchanted age the gaps have shrunk and shrunk and shrunk and therefore god who Christopher Dawson, um, who is the Catholic historian, has written a, um, a paper on the history of the church. And I'm just going to quote from James Emery White, who has written uh, the book Meet Generation Z, because I think it's really helpful in describing where we find ourselves. He writes this. One of the more intriguing observations about the flow of history surfaced in an essay written just after the Second World War by Christopher Dawson. In it, he makes the case that there have been six identifiable ages in relation to the Christian church and faith, each lasting for three or four centuries and each following a similar course. Each of these ages began and then ended in crisis. The heart of each crisis was the same, intense attack by new enemies from within and from outside the church which in turn demanded new spiritual determination and drive without this determination and drive the church would have lost the day dawson accounted for six such ages at the time of his writing i believe we are now living at the start of another 
we are at the end of an age and stand at the beginning of a new one, a seventh age. I quote that because I think it's true. We are seeing a cultural shift at an exponential rate. Um, these are some of the cultural shifts that apply to the UK um, in the last, well, the Reformation is up there and the Industrial Revolution, but the rest are all in the last 100 years. I won't go through them all. I'm sure in your context, some of these will be uh, familiar and some of them will be specifically different. But you can see cultural change from the two world wars onwards has sped up and up and up. Uh, until we reach a place where 70% of young adults cannot grasp that there might even be a God. Sigmund Bauman, the German philosopher writing in 2000, described what Western civilization is experiencing as cultural liquefaction. Liquefaction is what happens to the ground just before a volcano explodes. And he says that the rate of cultural change is so fast and so relentless that it's like the ground has turned to mud. That the technological revolution, the internet, the smartphone, is the most significant cultural shift since the Industrial Revolution. And so we are seeing change at a global scale, political, cultural, economic. All of this was already happening. And then COVID hit. COVID is the icing cake on the cultural liquefaction, uh, the icing on the cultural liquefaction cake. The ground is just moving beneath our feet and people are struggling to keep up. Paul Kingsnorth, and I would really recommend that you read this article, used this phrase to describe how he used to feel about religion. He has re recently come to faith. He said that as far as he could see religion was irrelevant, it was authoritarian, it was superstitious, it was feeble proto-science, it was the theft of our precious free will by authorities who want to control us by telling fairy tales. I think this is how many people in our society, including young adults, feel about all religion. Now, I'd like to share with you two sociological theories because they help us make sense of what's going on. One is by the German sociologist Mannheim, who wrote just after the First World War. There are lots of flaws with this theory, but he basically argues that the events that take place for any cohort in their kind of teens and early 20s shapes the way they see reality. They inherit things from their parents, grandparents, but those pivotal years form the way they understand the world to be and will carry it with them for the rest of their lives. Uh, my mother is a great example of this. She's part of the silent generation, the very tail end of it. She grew up during rationing after the war. She still, to this day, aged in her 80s, cannot throw food away. Those things stick deep in us. So there are uh, currently six living generations. You can see the breakdowns there. Um, the boundaries are somewhat arbitrary. As I said, there are lots of problems with this model, but there are also things in it that I think are helpful and truthful. So I'm going to ask you uh, another question, which is this. Can we have the next uh, 
quiz up please which generation do you belong to i will just go back a song okay we'll just give everybody a minute where are we oh oh interesting that's really interesting okay so i think we're more or less there and it looks like generation x have it which is not a thing i get to say very often huh that's an interesting thing to reflect on because it may well shape our conversation shortly so that's where we are second theory that I would like to introduce you to is by the American developmental psychologist Jeffrey Jensen Arnett and in 2000 he noticed that something was changing in how young adults were growing up okay historically there was a window for the privileged between the ages of 18 and 22 where they took a gap year sowed their wild oats discovered who they were and at the end of that, you became an adult, you got a job, you did a bunch of things. These are the things that adults were expected to do, probably in the first half of their 20s. But what Arnett found, and he's American, was a cultural shift, part of this liquefaction process. He identified that the path that young adults follow to become adult have changed and become so diverse that today's young adults have to create what he calls a self-biography. Previous generations probably followed a pattern that looked not dissimilar to their parents, grandparents, or at least there was a recognisable trajectory. For today's young adults, that is not possible. There are so many influences. They are exposed to so many things that actually limitless options make it really difficult to develop a stable identity a stable worldview and a stable religious faith so many things have changed and i won't go through all of these for the sake of time there's a bunch of changes around sex marriage having families there's a bunch of changes around economic uncertainty and education and finding a home um, there's a bunch of changes around technology and global awareness there's a bunch of changes around sex sexuality identity and there's also a massive mistrust of institutions if you ask a group of young adults who they can trust they'll probably say myself my family and my friends Onnet argued for a new developmental stage, not adolescence, not young adulthood, but emerging adulthood. And for some people that can last most of their 20s. It can take the most of their 20s to work out who they are and what they're going to believe, what they're going to do. It's an incredibly unstable life stage. The short version, and millennials are often relieved when I tell them this, is that 30 is the new 21. People spend lots of time 
just kind of scrambling around, trying to make a plan, trying to work it out. There are limits to that theory too, geographic limit, cultural limits, socioeconomic limits. The part of England that I live in, the northeast, people here don't get to take a gap year. That's not a financial option. But Arnett is arguing that for, for many young adults, the pattern of how you've grown up has changed. So question, how far do you see emerging adulthood in your context? How far does this resonate with you? A lot, somewhat, a little bit. Okay. Some of this um, on YWAM basis is probably going to depend where you draw your DTS students from. But that's interesting. Nobody's saying they're not seeing it at all. Some people are seeing it a lot. Some people are seeing it a bit. So these emerging generations. We have two emerging generations, and I'm going to give you a chance to talk in a minute. The millennials, of whom we have a number present, and then Gen Z, who we are going to talk about in a bit. Please forgive the sweeping generalizations. I appreciate this is not everybody's narrative, everybody's experience. Going back to that um, idea of what shapes us, and the key events of our teenage years and young adulthood, these are some of the things, and this is a British context, that were very profound for British millennials. 9-11 and the subsequent war on terror, terror attacks, the 2008 economic crash, the advent of the internet, social media, the smartphone, um, the development of the um, gay rights movement, the pride movement. And then there were the fun things, the London 2012 Olympics, the election of Barack Obama, girl power. For millennials, the narrative was really mixed. There are dreadful things, but there are hopeful things. And so millennials often develop what's been referred to by sociologists as a happy midi narrative. They went, but what can you do? Faced with you know, the internet faced with Google and Amazon and wars on terror and all these huge things going on on a massive scale. What can little me do? I can do nothing. And so what many millennials did was they kind of hunkered down and they went, I can't control the world. All I can control is my own life. So it's my responsibility to make my life happy. That's what I aspire to for myself, my family, and my friends. So if something makes me unhappy, I must change it, be it my job, my relationship, my church, anything that makes me unhappy, it's my responsibility to change. Millennials got a really hard time for that. Self-entitled narcissists, generation snowflake. <laughs> I've spent many years defending millennials. In actual fact, what I've seen over 25 years of student ministry is the mental health of young adults deteriorate further and further and further. 
it is not all good in millennial world. Spiritually, another British sociologist referred to young British adults as memoryless about the gospel. Just didn't know. Nobody had told them. Literally, the information chain had been broken. But there are some other underwriting, underwriting underpinning values. Um, authenticity is one of them. Authenticity means to be true to yourself. As you create your self biography, you must not do it in reference to anyone else. You are your own reference point. That is what authenticity means. And in the light of that, we must be tolerant to other people because they must be allowed to be their authentic self. So no is not a word we're allowed to use. In terms of understanding truth, experience is the defining factor. If I have experienced it, it's true. Uh, Oprah asked Meghan Markle, are you ready to tell us your truth? Not the truth, but your truth. So experience is extremely powerful. And this is generation vote, like, tweet, comment, post. They want to join in. They want to have a voice. They expect to have a voice, actually. Generation Z, briefly, before we take a break, or chat, are different. Generation Z, for young Brits, this is what has and continues to form their view of reality. From Brexit and Donald Trump through to the environmental crisis, the Grenfell Tower, the um, refugee crisis, the extreme poverty that we are now facing after a decade of austerity. This is not a fun place our young people are growing up in. And again, the icing on the cake, COVID, which has significantly affected young adults disproportionately. Their response, however, is different. Generation Z be fierce. Generation Z are fighting back. Greta is their poster girl. At the same time, the mental health of Generation Z is even worse than that of the millennials. These are the French statistics. Ours will be worse. The mental health statistics in Britain are always dreadful. We're in a terrible mess here. Generation Z, digitally connected, highly anxious, socially isolated. That's the great irony, digitally connected, but socially isolated. But they are activists. They're willing to fight back. And if millennials were memoryless, Generation Z literally know nothing of the gospel. Nothing. So, in summary, these emerging adults, globally connected, concerned humanitarians, skeptical of authority, tolerance and authenticity are self-evidently moral and hyper-individualistic. We have a mental health epidemic, we have profound loneliness, and I think a desire for meaning. So, we are now going to break into uh, Zoom rooms to give you a chance to process, process some of that information. We're gonna take 10 minutes. All I'm gonna ask you to talk about is how far you recognize this. 
How far do you see these patterns? What do you agree with, disagree with? How is it where you are? You do not have to agree with everything I say. Free will is allowed. But I just want to give you a chance to start processing. How is this out working with the young adults you know and you see? And if you are a young adult, if you are one of those millennials, please feel free to, uh, to chip in and make sure your voice gets heard. So I will hand back to whoever is controlling Zoom rooms. Okay. There are various things that we could have talked about from here on in. Um, my research has been with millennials. Millennials are my, my generation. Well, not my generation, obviously, um, but they're the generation that I've worked with. Um, but what I was asked to share with you are some thoughts about reaching Gen Z um, with the gospel. Uh, and so these are just some reflections. They are ideas. Um, yeah just to prompt conversation really what we have discovered in the uk with gen z is that they are not militant atheists sylvia collins mayor describes them as maybes don't knows and not sures rather than dawkins-esque atheists um, and i think often the church has expected people to be hostile and gen z aren't necessarily um, this report that came out, published by Barna uh, and World Vision last year, showed that even in secular Britain, 61% of young adults still thought there was probably something more out there. They are not secularists. They just don't know what the something else is. A friend of mine, for his master's, did a piece of research asking students in Leeds what their main objection to the Christian gospel was. And with twice as many votes as anything else was the answer, there's not enough proof. Um, a piece of work done in 2015 discovered that 40% of people don't realize Jesus as an actual historical figure. They think he's some kind of mythical, fictional character. So despite all the things that we might think young adults have against the gospel, have against um, Christianity, actually, they're just not sure it's real. Now, we've got to be honest and go, many of them don't care. They just don't care. They're operating within that secular trinity of self, family and friends. But actually, this is good news. Because historically, there's plenty of proof for the um, the existence of Jesus. Who you think he is takes us back to C.S. Lewis, liar, lunatic or Lord. But no serious historian doubts him or at least doubts his existence. I did a little piece of work um, with some young adults who'd come to faith um, from from non-church backgrounds, from non-Christian families. Um, it's only a small survey, but this is what I found. The key to young adults coming to faith are fundamentally relationality and hospitality. It's about community. It's all about friendship. It's about being welcome. It's about connection. There were four other what I call on ramps. One of them was experience of God. If you remember, I said experience is a real legit source of um, of information, of truth. So people having profound experiences of God, be that in a church setting or somewhere completely different. 
before we dump theology and apologetics all together and just have everybody have a lovely time and you know wait for the holy spirit to fall and the intellectual credibility of christianity still matters there are those for whom actually being able to reason join the dots up do the theology this is their their on ramp one person i interviewed had come to faith after many months if not years of wrestling when he read the god delusion because he saw so many intellectual holes in it that he decided well i think christianity probably is true then so thank you richard dawkins um the authenticity of church community church is actually doing what they say on the tin i honestly think if churches and christian organizations did what they claimed to believe young adults would be far more impressed and far more inclined to come and play and then the final one is this really interesting piece around altruism and a cause to live for particularly with gen z there's a real um young adults are really aware of the mess the world is in and they want their lives to make a difference when we communicate the gospel in those terms that you are investing your life in something you know that is going to change the world in isaiah 61 and binding up broken hearts and setting captives free young adults are like yeah that's what i want to do with my life so these i think are roots to um to finding faith emerging adults despite their confusion and uncertainty i think there are still spiritual interests and they overlap with the gospel these are four i offer you may have other suggestions you may want to ask the gen z's in your sphere of influence the environment is huge 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 well-being more generally well-being is the buzzword um and obviously spiritual well-being is part of that um the numinous this icon i've got here i i think people are searching to meet god not to know about god but to know is there more is there something higher is this real can i can i touch it can i experience it and then concern for the poor this overlaps with the environment um, but we're seeing lots of our um, Gen Zers who, you know, this this really matters to them. And again, if the church did what it said on the tin and helped the poor, that would carry a lot of weight with young adults. The questions that Gen Z tend to ask are, will this help rather than is it true? The suicide rates are astronomical at the moment. And people want to know, will this help me? Because I'm in a dark place. Second question would be, can these people or this God be trusted? Are they going to let us down? Are they going to bail on us? Is this God just like the politicians and the banks and the universities and the adults who destroyed the planet? Is this God any more trustworthy? And one young woman said to me, the thing is, the gospel just needs to look like something. Amen and amen, says I. But I think if we could get these things into our heads and start to help churches and missions agencies action them, 
we would look a lot more attractive and our gospel message would carry a lot more traction with young adults. So, top tip, I asked a bunch of my youth worker, student worker friends who work with Gen Z. Points in common, things they care about that God cares about, that we should care about and relevance are so important. Their friends, their friends are what are going to lead young adults to faith. So we really need to be investing in the young Christians that we have in our communities. Identifying, exploring those points of common value. Do we care about the environment? We should because we have a creator God that made it, told us to steward it. <laughs> and so on. And participation. One student worker that I spoke to said what we found helps is inviting interested, curious, but not yet believing young adults to come and join in when we pack food parcels, when we do, you know, environmental community facing activity. Invite them to come to see the Christians in action rather than just tell them we do this stuff. Relationality is at the core of this. Much of this, you know, your YWAMers, you know, identifying where the Holy Spirit's already at work. Who are the people of peace? Who are the young adults that are hungry for more? Tech is part of the answer. This is their way to engage with reality. So our tech, our Insta posts, all of that, it matters, but it's not the final word. It's a way in, but it's not the essence of the community. Exploration of theology, not prescription. Us asking them good questions, not telling them what we think are the right answers. Listening and empathising. One of our student workers said this, I spend so much of my time just sitting listening to people's pain. Much of it aimed at the church and not getting defensive, just absorbing it and saying, I'm really sorry. That should not have happened. That's not what God wants. And then avoiding jargon. Somebody in the group I was in just said, you can't assume they know who King David is. No, absolutely. You can't assume they know what a Bible is. Hospitality and consistency. Just inviting people. Would you like to come? No. All right. I think we'd be surprised. Those on ramps. What does that hospitality look like? Connection to small groups. Young adults are far more interested in small groups living life together than they are, despite, you know, the, the mega church thing. Even those that are drawn into the large, exciting mega church thing, they still want the small group. They want the community. Um, and they want people that will model faithfulness and reliability, people that will be faithful, even if they've got FOMO. We have to be the grown ups, <laughs> even if they're flaky and bail. We need to not do that. And then obviously it's about introducing people to Jesus. They've got to own this themselves. And then finally, scripture. We can't just go. It's in the Bible that will not cut it. So what? This is on Google. The Bible has no more credibility than Google does to young adults. They don't understand what it is or why they should trust it. So there's a whole hermeneutic process to go on there. Um, authentic, unashamed faith. People that are just going to be authentic. 
I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus, this is what I do, this is why I do it. And then I think the church, certainly in Britain, went through a phase of being seeker friendly, which meant lowering the bar. Anybody can be a Christian, hop on, hop on over. I actually think with young adults, because of the authentic, authenticity thing, raising the bar, having a high call on discipleship. This is what it means to follow Jesus. Do not get baptised unless you're in for this. Um, I think that authenticity really rings true. Even if they go, I can't get on board with that, but I respect that you do. These are the things that my research, other people's research shows, young adults want to participate. They want to be taken seriously. They want the church to be more radical and authentic to the gospel of Jesus. They want to learn by discussing and wrestling and being allowed to doubt and question and explore. They want to experience God. And they want authentic relationships, not just with peers. Young adults are really open to older friends. The Ruth Naomi piece, perfect. Elijah, Elisha, Paul and Timothy, Barnabas and John Mark, these are our role models. It's not just about them learning from us, it's about us learning from them. These are some things you might want to read, but I'm going to send us back into small groups just to have a think about, hmm, what are we doing right? What are we not? If there are young adults, please listen to them, ask them. Is, is what she's saying true? Have you got ideas? Is she talking nonsense? Um, and young adults, what I want to say to those of you who are present, you've got to show yourself faithful too. You can't expect to have voice and authority if you live in the world of FOMO where you won't commit. You can't have it both ways, basically. If you want to be taken seriously, be all in so that your elders know they can trust you. So there we go. That's why I have to offer. We're going to go back into groups, have a chat. What do you think? Ideas for moving forward? Everyone, well, I hope you've uh, enjoyed uh, some good kind of time of conversation there. And I think, um, we're going to go into a panel discussion. So first of all, we should really say thanks, uh, Ruth, uh, for uh, really a stimulating and, and brilliant uh, talk, couple of talks. And, and, I, and really, we hope that it um, sets you all off in your bases and locations and conversations about how to run DTSs that are more effective and do outreach that is more effective in the work that we're doing. So, um, I think at this point, we're going to start our panel discussion. So uh, that's going to be Tova and I uh, interviewing Ruth is going to be on that. Um, and Claire Mulroney, who's on the leadership, um, uh, leads the training in Harpenden uh, with a team there. And Scott Sotomayor, who is on the leadership here in Ross Trevor. And Andre Derkach. Andre is one of our leaders in Russia. He's part of organizing uh, FutureWise as well. And um, yeah, where is Andre? We'll be popping up here. Yes, there, yeah. So um, 
if you all want to unmute yourselves, if, if you're not already, um, Tova, do you want to start yeah. us off? Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so many directions we could go in right now. But uh, I have a question for you, Claire. Um, like, what <laughs> to you about Ruth's presentation? What kind of like feedback, you know, what real takeaways for you? Yeah, I mean, I think um, so. I, I am a, a millennial, <laughs> just <laughs> um, millennial. Are you a crossover? I am. I'm a right on that 1980 <laughs> line, but um, I. I just loved it, man. It just spoke to so, it was just so helpful, Ruth, to kind of have it in bullet points. And I think I just sat here going, oh, yes, yes, that's why this is a struggle with us here in Harpenden on training and why we can't get this. And, and I just spoke so many things to help me understand the why behind some of our hurdles and got my creative juices running to think, right, we've got to rethink how we do this and we how we do that to to kind of really engage with the generations that are coming in and to stop making assumptions about the generations coming in and why they behave or they don't behave in certain ways and and to re you know kind of lay it on the table and say okay god give us creativity here to to reach these people with yeah so it was it was brilliant Great, thank you, Claire. And Andre, you are sitting in Russia, and I guess that mm -hmm. Russian youth may be slightly different than, you know, UK. I don't know. Um, do you recognize the similar thing in Russia? How, yeah, tell us. It, it is different. It is different, but in some ways we, we have exactly the same dynamic because the pop culture it's exactly the same they're watching the same movies mm. they um, listen to the same music mm. and it's actually becoming very fast uh, it's changing very fast and it's actually even by statistic i was reading the articles that they did they, they, they and uh, basically if they question 20 year old young people the answer is almost the same like in the west like with my generation, it's it's still very different, but with twenty year old, basically statistic, the the, the answers uh, for pools exactly the same. And um, yeah, this wow. is why. <laughs> That's why <laughs> they're all talking to each other and, like you say, watching the same influencers and movies and music. So we've got this kind of hyper individualized but mm. also mass massively similar culture mm. kind of spreading globally yeah. Mm. Yeah. This is yeah i mean we have if if we if we think about the institute it's, it's different in many ways it's different but the mass media it's extremely influential education the education sphere it's not motivating individualism in the Russia. They're not doing it. It's like totally anti-individualistic. But the mass media and the pop culture, it's actually so strong. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, and this is and this actually creating the the culture and the young um, uh, so I wonder if we could just kind of look at kind of our outreach uh, as YWAM in Europe. And if you're kind of taking uh, 
um, uh, Ruth's kind of presentation. Um, what do you think, Scott, in terms of kind of uh, reaching a new emerging generation, Gen Zers, Gen Zers, however you say it, um, out there? What are what are some of your thoughts in terms of like outreach and how we need to be kind of either changing gear or um, looking at things in a different way? Yeah, I think um, first is is I think Ruth, you did an amazing job. Um, kind of, I'm I'm not necessarily a Gen Zer, I'm just at the edge, uh, but <laughs> I feel like I've heard a lot of talks on on this, and I think you've by by far done um, the best job. Um, but one of the key things um, I think that's important to understand, and you know, talking about outreach, is the questions of justice. Um, it really is the biggest question. Um, globalized kind of consciousness. Okay, well, we see actual poor, not just not just people who are going through a hard time, which we can all attend, you know, have those seasons in our lives. But we're talking about refugee crisis. We're talking about, um, yeah, I mean, I don't have to go through all of them. We know. And uh, I'm not saying that even our DTS outreaches need to be involved in fixing all of the world's issues. But we need to, YWAM is built to be able to address uh, what we, we call it mercy ministries. You know, we're involved in the actual poor and uh, with the actual poor. And I think that will uh, crack Gen Z, if you want to put it that way. You know, if we say here, you know, you said Psalm, or, um, Isaiah 61, you know, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. You know, if we go, let's model our DTSs off of, bringing cap, uh, setting captives free and, and eyesight to the blind and all these types of things, you're going to light these people on fire for, for, for the gospel, you know, because that is what the good news is. You know, that's what Jesus came to do. And if we just say, Hey, we're going to reflect the Jesus we talk about. Um, I think, I think they'll, they'll be signing up. It's funny. Cause no, I, so, um, Oh, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say in our breakout group, we talked about how, with with uh, bringing people in for DTSs, if we don't engage our DTSs with the bigger the issues that are engaging their whole generation, then we're not empowering them to reach their generation. Which we've we've already talked about how they are the ones to go and reach their generation. And so I think we have to wrestle with these things like the environment and well-being and the poor. Because if we don't in the context of our DTSs, then we're not empowering them to be effective with the real kind of big deal things that are going on in the generation for those that don't know Jesus yet. That's that's ultimately what we're empowering them to do. Yeah. Can I just respond? Yeah. Mariette just um, posted yeah. something. Um, can I just respond to that? Yes, go for it, Ruth. Yeah. Okay, so the judgment of God, the justice of God, is a real kicker um, for many people, always has been. Um, but actually, I think we have a new way in with young adults that I have discovered works. Um, we've been, many of us, not everybody, but many of us have been so individualistic in the way we presented the gospel. Your sin, Jesus died for your sin so you can be reconciled to God, okay? Young adults, despite their hyper-individualism, get the concept of corporate systemic evil. Mm -hmm. They understand that in a way that I think uh, my generation, we didn't we didn't get that because we didn't see it. So but they understand we've all knackered the environment. 
They understand racial oppression is systemic. They understand gendered stuff is systemic, that the, it's not just individuals, but it's systems that are broken and that are um, evil. Um, and, and what I found when talking with our students is that if, if you ask them, you know, what do you think of humanity? They've been on Twitter. They know what humanity is <laughs> like. Okay, so young adults have got this idea of, in theological terms, human depravity. Not so much personal, but corporate systemic. And so I think then approaching that with, well, if you were God and you were seeing all of this, and it was the world you'd created and you loved every one of these human beings and you hated these systems that people had set up, shouldn't God be more angry than we're seeing? And they kind of get that. They get that a God of justice has to do something because they want to do something. So actually what, what I found is to start with the systemic stuff that they identify with and then go, yeah, and what, what about you? Have you been part of the systems? Have you? And then they go, yeah, actually I have. Yeah, I, I've been a bit of an idiot on Twitter too. Mm. So rather than starting with you, starting with here and how do you think, if there's a God, how do you think he feels about this? It's a different avenue in. Um, but certainly what, what I have seen is I've seen young, that at least giving them food for thought rather than just door is shut. Angry God, how dare he smite us? Um, that that God. God who is legitimately angry but responds in mercy mm. is a oh interesting idea for them so i'll just mm. throw that out there it's just Very a good. suggestion that's super good so if you take it from there Bruce, and and uh, i'd like to ask you also scott maybe i know you're also involved with these essays so uh, in in light of that what what other tools are needed in the tool belt, you know, to run DTSs now um, and, and reach out to youth, you know, prior to DTSs. What, what are some of the tools that you think are needed? Um, and what changes do we need to make possibly? Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, even that question of systemic um, sin, you know, for me, that's been a revelation in the last mm -hmm. maybe six years. And I think we need to probably do a, a bit of a training for our DTS leaders, you know, to be honest. I, I've thought about for a while to mm. talk about maybe, a, we know we have our foundational workshop, uh, mm. but we need something beyond a foundational workshop, actually. Yes, we need our DNA as YWAM, but we also need to start grappling with these questions beyond the foundations. This is actual theology. I mean, what you're saying, Ruth, isn't new. That's not, I mean, Walter <laughs> Wink, we have theologians writing about this for for years and years you know and i'm only just tapping into this stuff and i think if we had our dts leaders and staff kind of decide or even just get resources on how to grapple questions of justice um we we really will i mean when i don't mean to toot my own horn but i, I honestly the schools that i run people the dts students who come start to get on fire for for not just God's plan for their life, but what God wants to do in the world, because God cares about everything. You know, the blessing will go as far as the curse is gone. And I, we believe this, we trust this. And and so, um, you know, people like Shane Claiborne, for instance, in America, who, you know, he, he sews his own clothing in order to break out of the, the systemic issues of 
you know, I'm wearing a Nike brand where it's one of the worst, you know, when it comes to <laughs> problems of justice, you know, but, you know, these types of things, you know, a prophetic witness, prophetic imagination, these types of questions on um, living a life that is reflecting the gospel. Um, so we need a less, I maybe don't have answers when it comes to recruitment, but the product being more suited for the incoming generation Mm-hmm. It might be something that we need to look into as YWAM, uh, maybe as a, as a, maybe in our areas or whatever, on how do we educate and, and maybe even, maybe not educate, maybe um, introduce these ideas in their theological connection points. Because, you know, Ruth, as you were saying, those are all like, you're going, doesn't God, those are all the kind of the, the theoretical connections that we can make, but there are volumes of theology on this information. You know, it's not just like, oh, doesn't God like the world? Like, oh, here's here it is in scripture. And here's what Isaiah is saying. And, you know, it's what the biblical narrative is about, in my opinion. So let's we can just connect those dots. And again, people will be ignited. for this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's very good. Um, does any of the Yeah, Claire, Andre, do you want to comment on the same question, you know, in the, in some of the tooling? Um, that yeah. might be needed. Yeah, I mean, I have short. I thought I, the two things that what we experience and what I think it's first of all very important tool for us to have successful DTS for Generation Z. Z. It's the that we have staff that this is extremely important tool. And actually, I think the best even not just staff but the leaders that will be from the generation. And this is, I mean, uh, we need to work on it. And then second, I think is that uh, we need to have, like it's what Ruth was sharing. We need to radical, radical, and we need to give them chance to be radical, like in their ministry, in their uh, outreaches, and uh, what they do. Actually, uh, this is, I think, very simple, but I think actually if we have these two things, we will have much more interest in, the between the generation. Cool. Um, I wonder, uh, Ruth, if you could touch on, if you think of the, the global Christian movement or the European church even, um, which includes obviously YOM, um, how can we, uh, you know, we, we're aware that an emerging generation is, is leaving our churches or not even showing up. Um, you know, what, what are some of the stepping stones of re-engaging um, young people who have lost their faith or have just got no interest in it? Uh, and how as we as YWAM do we kind of start to engage with um, young people outside of our uh, doors? Well, it feels a little bit like uh, I'm telling a missions agency how to do missions. <laughs> help us, help Please. us. <laughs> well, I, I think, you know, it's it's the real basic stuff of missiology, isn't it? Is of where are the young people? What are the points of affinity? What are the things that they care about? What's going on with them? How do we bless them and support them and get to know them? in those contexts in order to have the right to have a voice in order that they might actually ask, well, why are you doing that then? Um, so so it's got 
forgive me, I was in Y1 for four years, but it was a long time ago. But I know some little bits. People have got to get off the base, dude. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> they've got to actually know their communities. They've got to be part of gyms or sports clubs or, you know, whatever it is. And I think one of the disadvantages of the DTS model is that it is short term. Mm. And that everything we're saying here is about building community and it's about that kind of long term witness of, yep, we're still here. Yep, we're still here. Yep, we're still loving. Yep, yep, we're still down the skate park. Yep, we're still going. We're still going. We're still going. And that's really difficult when you've got this high turnover of enthusiastic, well-meaning here for 12 weeks and now we're gone. So that's that's really difficult. So I think probably it needs to be your base staff who are there longer term that are getting out into the community and just getting, you know, mm-hmm. I don't think you guys can rely on churches cha- channeling their young people to you anymore. Just don't think you can. There are not that many young people in the churches and there are lots of organisations competing for the gap year market. Mm-hmm. And I think lots of them are going to collapse. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you guys are going to, you're going to have to go after your own young people. which Um, means getting out there and knowing them and loving them and the group that we were just in and jill was saying that the table is the place where it happens that hospitality Mm. and sharing life with people and being Mm. present with them Mm. so sorry if that's a bit direct i'm from the north what can i say (laughs) no it's good it's good it's on it's on par it's it's funny because this week i've even been discussing that here uh, in harvinden just how crucial it is that we are embedded in a community. Um, even you said something, I think one of your lines was that we do what we say we do. And I think we often say we're, you know, we're equipping young people to, to, to go out and to do whatever it is. Um, and I saw something this week, I was in, a, in an environment where we were serving it with the poor in a, a really end. And I watched us somebody who just froze in the moment. They didn't know what to do with what they were seeing. And I thought, oh my gosh, we have got to translate what we're teaching within the four walls of a campus or a base. And we've got to make it really practical. We've got to take it out. And, and so that people know how to translate what they've learned. And we, we say that in theory, but I think we just, we got to up our game in terms of getting off and that, and that is a lot about the people that are on basis long-term investing and, and building community and bringing up people that are coming fluctuating through with us to, to equip them in the doing. I think yeah. it's really important though that the poor and the young and the vulnerable that you're ministering to in that context don't feel like they're just the project no. the DTS yes, students absolutely. practice on. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. It's got to be yeah, a, no, absolutely. A, I know that's... <laughs> you know what I'm saying yeah mm-hmm. okay. um yeah Andre um you're kind of I think one of the people that is um yeah really apostolic leader you always tend to kind of lead new teams that tend to grow quickly what are some mm-hmm. of the things that you're uh have kind of been uh key for you um kind of as a base leader and kind of leading a base that's reaching out and and successfully touching the lives of people I don't know, it's hard. Uh, hard um, if we're talking about generally or talking about, about young people, I think if we're talking about young people, then um, the most critical was it's to involve the young people. 
and uh, this is what I already say. And I totally agree with Ruth. I think we just need to observe this generation like unreached people group. I mean, we know how to do it. <laughs> observe it like unreached people group and, and start to reach it. I mean, yeah. uh, with, to become like them, to reach them and then to live, live, it, live the East gospel like East and exist culture to see that it will grow and, and bring transformation. And I think this is what we need to, we need to reach them and then we need to trust them to lead the work. And then uh, when we, this is, yeah, this is what we, we, we experience actually quite a good dynamic in, in rest of Russia now between this generation and it's just how it works, mm -hmm. but yeah. Yeah. I Can I just say the unreached people group thing is the most helpful mm -hmm. thing. That's absolutely true. It's just ground zero. People know nothing of the gospel. So I think, Andre, that, you know, I would amen that all the way. Yeah. I think with that, it means our witness becomes so much more important. Like our personal lives need to reflect the gospel, you know, beyond mm -hmm. what we read or pray or how many Bethel songs we can sing for how long <laughs> and how long we can do intercession for. Uh, I had a buddy of like, one of my my best man at my wedding actually um years before i got married um he's a he's an atheist himself and he, but he knew he saw me going to lebanon right when the um refugee crisis was really hitting off and he sent me a message once out of the blue and he said hey scott i don't believe in god and i don't know about jesus but if he did exist i think you'd be doing his work you know and even though of course it's not this great testimony of someone coming to the lord there's something about that, you know, angle scale of evangelism where you're moving down that line towards closer and closer to God that's based on simply witness. I didn't preach anything to him. I didn't have those quick uh, five-minute uh, evangelism talk. He looked at the witness of, of going to the refugees in, the, in those banana plantations and said, hey, if God exists and he's this good God that people keep talking about, this must be what he's doing. And I didn't have to connect those dots for people. So prophetic witness, mm. you know, because yes, unreached people group, but there are, there are people group who have social media. There are people group who care about justice. There are people group who, who see the, the reality of suffering in the world. And our witness needs to be what the early Christians were, which was serving and, and um, yeah, reflecting what Jesus is, mm. you know. Yeah. We're just in the last couple of minutes, I guess. Um, is there anyone want to just throw in some last thoughts? Claire, Andre, and we've just heard from Scott, and then uh, from you, Ruth. Any last thoughts, Claire, as we kind of reflect on all that we've been discussing here? Yeah, <laughs> lots to process, I think. I think that's always my thing in these moments is that we've heard a lot today and it's really easy to walk away from a session like this and, and hear all the information and be like, yes, and then change nothing in the way that we engage with it in practice, walking away from it. And so I think I'm leaving this session going, I don't want to just hear it. I want to come away and 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 earnestly before the Lord, ask him for new ways of doing things with this knowledge in mind um, uh, to kind of, yeah, think creatively about the future and 
and and let go of the things that we we quite I feel quite comfortable doing it this way I quite like doing it that way and actually again it's not really about just how I want to do it it's about if I'm really wanting to reach this generation I've got to let go of those things and and engage with what actually is going to work so I think my exhortation would be to to really go away and reread re-listen to this whole thing and ask the Lord how does how do we apply it as why I'm in this current moment for Europe. Yeah. Um, any thoughts from you, Andre, just to kind of close? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking too. It was good, lots of good information. And I, it's, it's good to process it. It's good, really, really good to process it. And um, yeah. Uh, it was it was many many yeah I, I don't know what to add I just mm. yeah just need to process the need to think I think we need to think what we what we could do and mm. what God is expecting from us mm. yeah and Ruth uh, you've uh, any kind of like final um, <laughs> phrase uh, before we hand over. <laughs> Um, I think the the tribes of Issachar thing, you know, yeah. is is where we need to go, isn't it? You know, mm -hmm. people that understand the times and know what to do, mm -hmm. and we can understand the times, yeah. but it it does need the Holy Spirit to to show mm -hmm. us and give us revelation, and I think it involves collaboration and cross generational mm -hmm. collaboration and cross racial collaboration, and mm -hmm. you know, who who is excluded? Let's include them but but i do think partnership with churches partnership with other agencies young adults don't know jesus says never mind know what denomination means or mm -hmm. what the difference between church and parachurch is not not a clue so <laughs> you know i think we've got to recognize we're all on the same team and you know work together as healthily and as as well as we can i think um yeah Thank you, Ruth. Um, this has just been amazing. Um, I'm thinking too, alongside with what Claire said, of um, I don't want to forget this. Uh, I want to wrestle with this. Just remember that this this talk here it will be loaded to the ELLC uh, website. Uh, I suggest you sit and watch it again. You know, with your teams. I want to do that. Um, and just ask the real questions. Okay, what is it that we need to change here? What what do we need to let go of? What do we need to really attempt to to gain here? Um, and encourage to make the changes. Um, I think it takes a lot of courage in this path we are on, uh, where, as you said, Ruth, it's it's like there's these three themes that you just have to hit this race, its gender, its environment. And we see it in the news. We, it, is, it comes up in all our schools, but then actually really to dare to address it and, and, and work with it as well. And not just walk around, like kind of be too scared to, um, to talk about it. I think there's a bunch of things that churches and Christian organizations are ducking. They're ducking gender because yeah. it's contentious and scary. Yeah. They're ducking the environment because, oh, well, we're all going to heaven anyway, aren't we? So <laughs> um, they're ducking the the race and yeah. gender pieces because it's very painful to look at, oh my goodness, we've 
created systems that have excluded we didn't mean to but we have that self-examination is really painful mm. so I, I think especially in a time of covid where just keeping the show on the road has mm. been really hard work mm. um, I think that's hard but maybe now is the moment you know with with the pandemics kind of cleared the decks a bit we could do it differently coming out the other side mm-hmm. yeah thank you Maybe one point on the discourse that's needed for that. Sorry to butt in, but I've heard uh, this is just a really small thing, but we need discourse to be able to do that, right? To talk about race, gender, all this kind of stuff. And um, one thing that I've I've started to hear quite a lot, which I will say, I'm just going to give this as an offering to you older generation. Um, The term wokeism uh, is like, oh, we need to deal with wokeism and that kind of thing is is so like not helpful to use that language. Like I would really avoid using that type of terminology when you wanna have discourse about this, especially with the younger generation. You know, you're totally shoehorning in Mm -hmm. questions of justice into nearly derogatorily saying, oh, this wokeism thing that we need to deal with. And I would just really recommend avoiding that because the questions that they have are valid ones and to shoehorn them into some sort of ism that you've created uh, is, is not really helpful. So that's that's a free gift for you because um, I really don't think it's gonna get you very far if you use that terminology. Yeah. Thank you so much, Scott. We will add that to the notes for sure. No, I fully agree there. We are coming to an end here. So I want to thank you also the panel here for, for joining and for contributing. Um, we have asked Steve Mayers to kind of come with a closing word. He did that very, very well last time to like wrap up what is bring conclusion here. So Steve, he is, I mean, he is leading um, Byram Europe or facilitating, I would say. He's always been facilitating and serving. That's his way of leading. I'm Europe for many years, uh, lives in Spain. It works out of Spain with his wife, Reed. Um, and he's also, he gave leadership to um, and birthed, I would say, the European Leaders Learning Community. Um, so thank you, Steve. So happy that you're with us. So how would you wrap this up? <laughs> wow. We've, we've had quite a, an interesting uh, afternoon, haven't we? So many big questions. And where do we go from here is the $64,000 question. Mm. Boy, um, <clears throat> I, I've been fascinated by just the talk on the various tools. What can we use? Uh, realizing that it's the Gen Z that is coming into our DTSs all over. We have to recognize this key word that they're an unreached group. We're very different. Mm-hmm. Um, especially for me, I think I'm the only baby boomer on the team here at the moment. Um, so, <clears throat> yeah, and perhaps a new way of leading is, is part of the answer. I think community has always been part of Youth with a Mission. We've um, modeled community right at the beginning. Perhaps there's a new sense of community that is less institution than we've been. Um, Again, hospitality is a value, but can we up that to another level where we're really connecting in new ways? Um, Being, you know, we we use all these terms, this authentic community, but um, as people look at us in our communities, who are we reaching out to? Um, 
yeah, are we being authentic in the way that we're working in our local communities? And are our outreaches seen as really helping? Uh, we've mentioned the refugees and working in mercy ministries and justice issues. Are, are our outreaches um, authentic in that sense? So, yeah, we've got lots of work there. Thinking about staff and, and getting um, Gen Z on our staff. Um, <clears throat> and as staff, are we attractive to them? Do we come across as being authentic? <laughs> and that, that's a, a question that I think we can all ask. Of course, we love to be um, a generational mix in YOM. So we want, you know, um, all these generations to be working together. That's, that's uh, a challenge. Um, in our teaching styles, I've, I've been one that has been saying this for a long time now, that we need to, to perhaps change our teaching styles and um, be dialoguing much more than necessarily telling, um, <clears throat> just being more creative and involving and giving experience through our teaching. I love this point of raising the bar. Um, yeah, I, th I think we do need to say, you know, if, if you want to change the world, it's going to cost. Uh, and are you ready and willing to do that? And so, yeah, um, it's another point. I think, yeah, this whole point of uh, we can't rely on the church channeling their young people. And so there's an opportunity for us um, to, to start all kinds of new ministries of reaching raw young people out there um, and being able to, to touch their lives. So a lot of homework for us, I would say. Um, so let's, let's look at our community life and our community bases and teams and ministries, and let's put it through the lens of how will a Gen Z look at us? Uh, and let's trust God to, to really speak to us. So Lord, as we come to the end of just these few hours together, Lord, would you help us to be learners? Help us to keep that learner plate on. Uh, we don't come with the knowledge we need. And so we, we pray you'd help us to, to put on this, um, this learner mentality. Help us to listen, Lord, and not just to tell. Help us to be models of, um, yeah, a life like Jesus, who loved the poor and loved the marginalized and dealt with injustice and dialogued with everyone. We, we want to be attractive models to those in our communities. Um, and Lord, may we become radical to make the, the necessary changes. Lord, I was just reading this morning about the rich young ruler, and he came desiring so much. And Jesus, you had to say to him, you know, just let go of your uh, finance, go and sell <clears throat> everything and come and follow me. And sometimes we, we look at our YWAM bases and our resources and all that we've done as, as being so precious. And perhaps we need to let go of it all and come and follow Jesus in a fresh way. So we want to do that, Lord. Help us to, to be new radical followers of you, to be able to hear what you're saying and to obey. 
uh, and to see this young generation reached in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Steve. We want to say thank you to you, Ruth. It has been uh, brilliant uh, being your student here and uh, receiving from you. So thank you for giving up your time. Um, I know you're speaking all over the world now to many different denominations, church denominations as well, and conferences. So be humble that you would be with us here and you would invest back into YRAM. So thank you, Ruth. And I want to just encourage uh, anybody else, you know, just um, if you want to say a thank you, maybe a highlight back to, to Ruth or Jill, you know, just, just type in the, in the chat here as well. So thank you. We will have actually coffee with Ruth for, for a few minutes now. If, uh, if you want to stay and have time to stay on, you can just stay in this, um, in this room now and uh, uh, there'll, there'll be room for, for conversation for at least 15 minutes or so. Um, but we have another future wise coming up as well. Yeah, maybe we should just, um, if everyone, you can put it in your diary, it's the 27th of September. Is going to be the next future wise so we'll we'll let you know the content and the lineup for that um uh but put that in your in your diaries now and um prepare to join us and uh yeah and i just want to say at the end as we end the big setting before we go into a smaller chat for those who want to stay with ruth i think um the line it was my wife said to me or to my, myself and a few friends recently and we were reminded of in our breakout group that, uh, you know, the Romans gave us a cross, uh, but Jesus gave us a table. And I think uh, so often when we hear these talks about how to reach a new generation, I think hospitality uh, is, is one of the ways that we actually have in YWAM. We, that should be one of our values. It should be something that kind of ekes out of us everywhere we go. Um, so let's continue to be a mission in Europe that is, has an open table to the outside world as restrictions hopefully start to um, be uh, released and we're able to kind of meet people face to face let's jump at the opportunity for people who are eagerly looking for for um, a hug and hospitality and warmth and welcome so thanks for joining us and uh, again i i joined tova and saying thank you ruth as well it was really good content so uh, I think, Tova, the idea is we stay here. If you'd like to chat to Ruth and have coffee for um, about 15 minutes. Uh, so if anyone wants to stay on and talk and ask questions, then just stay here. And I put, um, just for your information, I wrote down a few um, websites where, Ruth, you have some blogs. Actually, we should ask you to advertise even heavier. I think your book is changing shape. Um, so you can you can do this over coffee here as well. Yeah, if you there you go. Can you just just say a few words about it, Ruth? Uh, on mute, please. Okay. Yeah. Um, so this um, I wrote this because um, when I came out of YWAM, I went into student ministry and mentored like a load of really keen undergraduate students. Um, 20 years later, some of them love Jesus, leave churches, are, you know, radical disciples. Some of them don't believe there's a God anymore. And I couldn't have guessed who was going in which direction, who was going to lose their faith and who was going to grow. And so this book um, 
the research done was to try and answer the question why why do some young people's faith thrive and other young people's just collapses so i interviewed uh, nearly 50 young adults now in their early 30s who had had a faith at 20 about their journey so that's what the book is about it's about basically what happens during that emerging adulthood window that i mentioned uh, and what causes people's faith to to thrive or not so that's what the book is um and you'd be welcome to buy a copy i will make the princely sum of about 67p which in all honesty the publisher keeps to pay for the indexing costs so but if it's helpful go ahead <laughs> like, um, but the blog there's there's quite a lot of blogs on that website as well discipleshipresearch.com um so yeah that's what the book is there is and the coffee room is open <laughs> yeah so if you'd like to ask a question or make a comment, why don't you just unmute yourself and uh, go for it. Ruth, I had a question about Alpha. Have you, yeah, um, yeah what, what are you seeing with um, young people coming through Alpha, Gen Z um, or millennials? Um, I, I mean, I don't, no, firsthand. Um, I think Alpha works for some young adults. I think the space to discuss is really helpful and the kind of community of people chatting together. Um, I do know that Alpha has kind of gone exponential during lockdown, but I don't know how much of that is with young people. Um, I think just more generally, people have been happy to sit on their sofa and do God stuff. It seems to me like in the UK, there are two conflicting narratives going on. One is revival is imminent. Come on. And the other is doom, doom, doom. And people keep asking me, which camp do I sit in? Do I think revival is imminent or do I think it's all going to hell in a handcart? Um, and I am probably somewhere in the middle. I do believe God's on the move, but I don't know that I think it's going to look like it's looked like before. So I'm, I'm not, I think Alpha works for some people and some types of people, and it really doesn't for others. Um, so, but I mean, you could, you could go to the Alpha HQ and ask about what's going on with, with young adult stuff. Um, I know that they've developed stuff that's specifically aimed at younger generations. Um, that's a bit more, you know, it's all Bear grills in it. He's the poster boy now. Um, so, yeah, I think it can it can be good, but it doesn't suit everybody. I don't know if that helps or not, but <laughs> yes, that does. Thank you. I, mean, I was thinking um, about. I, I was thinking about. Uh, is there anything? that goes beyond generations, like let's say that you're nice to people, love people, include people, because this hospitality, for instance, and to look at people, that seems to be a principle that goes to all generations and works in all generations. So have you any thought about that? Or is there any common thread that people, whatever generation, baby boomers, or respond to? I, I would think that a nice smile, a nice face, somebody openness, of course, the Holy Spirit factor. Have you made any thoughts about that, Ruth? I ask you, Ruth. 
Um, I think our young adults are so battered from their families breaking down, from the pressures they're under trying to work out who they are while the cultural ground moves under their feet. Um, from, you know, even now asking the question, not just what do I want to be when I grow up, but what gender am I? I think there were just so many pieces just swirling for them that I think particularly people who are older, who are genuine and gracious and kind and interested and listen are really profound because many of them don't have the parents that do that or grandparents that do that. So, so you're right, of course, all humans respond to kindness and respond to warmth and hospitality. But I think there's such an ache in the soul of young adults for will somebody please just love me? Will somebody approve of me? Will somebody give me their time and be faithful to me that I think there's a whole, you know, this, this is a huge opportunity for us. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, be, be, because families are so fractured and dysfunctional. Um, so I, I like, I often, like I often, one of the findings that I found in here was that the people whose faith had really thrived all spoke about an older friend who had walked through the bumps, the ups and downs and the drama of their 20s with them. And it was almost like they mentioned it by accident. I didn't ask, they, but they all started speaking about somebody. And some of those were people that were 10 years older, some were like the age of their parents or grandparents, but they'd all got someone that had been their kind of their advocate. And so I've, what I've been doing is I've been going around churches telling baby boomers that young adults want to be your friend. They don't want you to be, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi and them to be Luke Skywalker and sit at their feet and learn from them like some kind of padwan. They want a genuine friendship. They want, they want just to do life, to walk the dog and talk about stuff. And whenever I've said that in churches, I see people with silver hair. I see across their eyes flash, you're lying. They don't want to be our friend. That's a lie. Um, and I said it once at a conference and I've watched all the people with silver hair that I, literally you could read it on their faces. And then about 200 young adults got to their feet and started clapping. And I literally choked up. I didn't know what to do. And you could see all the baby boomers going, what, what's, what's happening? Because all these millennials were going, yes, be our friends. Please be our friends. We want to be your friend. Um, and I, I just think for Gen Xers and boomers, a lot of us, we didn't want to be friends with older people when we were young because they knew nothing. <laughs> But I think actually younger generations now, particularly millennials, have been really open to, yeah, I'd love to be your friend. So I, I do think there's a bit of a shift there and something that actually older generations need to get their heads around that young people want to be with us. Um, and, and that's a bit of a shocker, I think. Um, I mean, I'd be interested to know if there are millennials here. Scott, I'm looking at you. Would you agree with that? Does that ring true? Yeah. Or do you think it's nonsense? Oh, yeah. 
I think for me, the most shaping relationships I've had, I mean, even, even as I tell my story, the biggest points of it are mentors. Um, and yeah, I think that's 100% true. You know, someone who, who um, gives you space to kind of ask questions, um, someone who uh, is accommodating, but also pursuing, you know, like even when I was growing up, it was the youth leader, not who just like had good messages or whatever. It was um, the one who came to my football games or whatever, you know, who like pursued uh, not just a, in a religious setting, but it's a, a life together thing, I think was pretty impactful for me and still is, you know. Yeah. 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 I did have a question myself, actually. Um, I actually almost bought your book uh, months ago, so I'm kind of <laughs> kicking myself, but I didn't. But I saw it, and I was like, yeah, yeah. I'll be honest, I didn't, but I definitely was interested <laughs> by it. Uh, the title definitely gripped me, so good job on that. But uh, uh, the question I had was, in your findings, knowing now what the book's really about, with this, you know, 50 people you, you inter interviewed, how much of the term deconstruction came up? And I did it at all, the question, or it didn't come up at all, the word deconstruction? They didn't use that word, but they were doing uh -huh. it. Yeah. So I had, I had three categories of young adults in the sample. There were those who lost their faith. There were those who um, still have a faith and are still part of a church community. And then there was a group who I called the disenchanted, who still love mm. Jesus, but we're not going to go anywhere near a church or a religious organization. So some of them were forming their own little networks of pals. Most of them wanted to be part of a church, but were struggling to find a church where they felt safe or felt they belonged. Um, and all of them, interestingly, the 10 in my sample were all clearly young leaders. Like just talking <laughs> to them, you could tell they were leaders and they had all got mashed. They had all got really badly hurt in churches yeah. and had just gone, whoa. And it wasn't always uh, things that had been done to them, although sometimes it was. Um, some of it was that their church had split. And when you bought into the church's family narrative and the church splits, mummy mm. and daddy have basically got divorced all over again. Um and other people, the person that was mentoring them had that relationship had broken down or um, just there had been terrible communication. They'd been badly managed. Honestly, some of them had been exploited. They'd been paid peanuts to do many, 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 many hours of work. And when they went, I can't pay my rent, people had gone, oh, well, unlucky. <laughs> But I work 50 hours a week for your organization and I can't afford to put petrol in my car. Um, I appreciate I'm talking to YWAMers here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it's but good. at least I it's all also, of you. At least you all yeah, are in that same, same boat. boat. <laughs> yeah. Now, the one the one thing with that is what reason, because I think we as YWAM need to be ready for the wave of deconstruction and we need to be generous in our in the way we deal with that. Because I went through my own deconstruction while being a young leader, and I'm through it. I feel I feel I'm through it. But I I think if I didn't have the environment that I did have, it would I I don't know if I'd be a Christian to be honest. Mm -hmm. And um, again, I might be in that dis disenchanted group. I, I'm not. Obviously, I'm functioning within the YOM structure and whatever. But 
what do you, is there any resources that you've found that can help kind of orient those who haven't gone through their own massive deconstruction, questioning everything kind means, of journey? I, I think the deconstruction question would be, are you talking about the deconstruction of church or are you talking about the deconstruction of faith? I think both are very involved in my okay. upcoming generation. Yeah, um, I think it's very difficult to hold on to a single theological narrative when you're being bombarded with a gazillion worldviews. Okay, and that is the difference between boomers and Gen Xers. We weren't exposed to what everybody and his dog thinks on every subject at all times. So you kind of were choosing between Christianity and one or two other ideas. Whereas young adults are bombarded and, you know, everybody's making up their own worldview. And some of it is palpable, inconsistent nonsense. But the human brain doesn't finish cooking until people are 25. So working out that the two values you're holding diametrically clash is quite tricky to do before your prefrontal cortex has kind of solidified. Um, so I think it's it's really, you know, it's really challenging to work out theologically where you stand when you're being subjected to so many alternatives um, and being encouraged to critique absolutely everything. Um, so I, I think the journey that allows people to go through the bumps and holds them and says, we're just going to be with you while you work this out, while you wriggle, while you say mad things that are palpably not Christianity um, and, and just let you bounce off the walls a bit until the dust settles and you go, oh, yeah, no, that's nonsense. You know, I think it's that holding people safely and them knowing they're loved to allow them to do that thing. Um, and because I think people have always done it in their 20s, but I think it's more intense now. Um, I mean, I always say that, you know, um, my DTS saved my faith because growing up in a reformed church, I was like, what do I do with this God who appears to be a psycho? Um, you know, and it was Roger Forster on my DTS that spoke about open theism and I didn't buy it, but I went, oh, at least there's an alternative. Huh? right. So I think that exploration, I think lots of people come to YWAM with those sorts of questions. That stuff from home just doesn't quite work, but. Uh, so most of the people in that disenchanted group that I described somewhere along the line had studied some theology, some mm. formal academic theology and had discovered that other people had asked the same questions and had found answers, be that in Celtic spirituality or feminist theology or, you know, open theism or whatever it was, they they'd found that there were alternatives and had been able to go, oh, I can get on board with that which it sounds a little bit like is what you've done, Scott. Is that? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I went on my own. I mean, I have books and books and books that I just started reading and asking questions with. And um, for sure, I mean, I, I kind of am starting to really, yeah. I, I don't want to get too, I don't want to take up too much time. But yeah, mm -hmm. for sure, I, I definitely have um, 
fallen in love with um, the idea of pluralism, which is that, you know, I always say like, if, if uh, you know, truth is a pure light, you know, it's refracted through Jesus, you know, like it's, or, you know, God has come onto earth and there's this pluralism of truth. It's not the same as, um, what's it called? Um, uh, what's the word that we always hate uh, as Christians? Um, you know, your truth and my truth. What's that called? Relativism. 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 It's not the same as relativism. It's actually that there are different, we're seeing different colors of the same lights and actually we can piece something together that actually works together. So finding truth in black liberation theology, feminist theology, and uh, the Peruvian liberation theology, finding truth in Calvinism, and, you know, finding actually these things that become self-evident in truth, mm -hmm. um, but can't be, I couldn't have found that if I stayed in my own stream. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a very exhausting process, but it's, I think, a crucial one uh, to affirm those different voices of theological kind of take, basically. Without, of course, you don't have to take the whole thing with you. Um, but yeah, going in that that journey was really important for me. I'm still on it, you know. Yeah, but I agree. I, Tova's just put something in here about being and doing it in community. I think that's really important. I think in a hyper individualized world, people can just go off and create their own religion. You know, I'll create my own version of Jesus. And I think we've got to root people back in scripture. We've got to keep drawing them back to something that looks like orthodox Christianity. And by orthodox, I mean general, you know, oh, you know, the, these are the things that, that Christians have believed and do believed. And but, but you know, we've got a 2000 year heritage, mm -hmm. you know, there's 2000 years, not just kind of charismatic evangelicalism, which is where we find ourselves. Um, and, and, and I do think people are broadening out, aren't they? You know, all the Lectio stuff, the stuff that Jill brought them, all, all sorts of stuff. People are rediscovering mm. the, the beauty of those expressions mm. of Christian faith. Yeah, mm. True. yeah I had, um, I remember, who was the guy that spoke in Milan? Uh, again, somebody in Milan at the WELG um, a Neil couple Cole? of years. Neil Cole, yeah, yeah. So Neil Cole, I don't know if you've heard of Neil Cole, Ruth, he's um, one of these kind of consultants on emerging discipleship movements and stuff. Um, no, he, no, I should have, though. What's his name? Neil Cole. He's, he's, he's good. He's, he's like um, quite well known in that field. Um, but he had this kind of word for us as YWAM. It's funny because he wasn't a very prophetic kind of speaker, but at the end he goes, I have a prophetic word for YWAM. Um, and it was, he had written it out all, it was very, um, it was very good, but he basically just talked about how we were to create these arcs for people. And it was all about arcs and arcs. And, and it kind of has really stuck with me as I think quite a defining word for YWAM that, um, whereas I think maybe in the eighties and nineties, we were developing a kind of an equipping center for missionaries. We're now at a place where, um, we're looking out at, at people who are looking for home and looking for yeah hospitality and, and maybe our bases need to instead of just being kind of focused on sending people out we need to be kind of welcoming people in you know um i don't know what that looks like on a big scale but um so i, I noticed that somebody deborah i caught her name had posted something about family and inviting young adults into family um like with kids and the whole shebang all generations and i um would would 
echo that but i think that's also i don't think it's different from what you're describing or what from scott's talking about i think all of these things this whole community thing of journeying and learning and mm. it's very early church in it mm. it's all very you know new testament first century meeting around the table and praying constantly and rescuing babies off rubbish tips and um and honestly i think probably the persecution's on the way as well so i think you know we're going to have more in common with the early church than we were anticipating um but just on a fun note ruth i see you're old a former one-on-one -on -one, i hear i don't know if fiona would have a question for you <laughs> <laughs> or indeed my dts outreach leaders the vennings i saw were around. okay they will tell you what a basket case i was at 26. do you have a question for ruth fiona well i, I already made a question privately okay 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 <laughs> oh, I haven't seen that. <laughs> no, your accent has changed since I, I knew you 20 years ago. So it's not really relevant to the discussion. Oh, okay. <laughs> I've been to a lot more places since then, Fiona. Yes. Ruth, do you mind if I ask you a question? Of course. Thank you. Um, so I'm, I'm living in York and I'm, I'm leading the base here and I'm finding myself walking with a lot of Generation Z. Um, who go to uni here. Um, and I'm a millennial and I've heard that millennials and generations that are almost opposite in a lot of what we believe. Um, because like we as millennials grew up with the hope, like being told we could do whatever we wanted to do or et cetera. Like I went to uni right when the financial crisis hit. Um, and so the generation, generation said, I've heard like, because they grew up without any hope of it, they have a completely different worldview. Um, so do you, do you have any advice about how a millennial can talk to and walk with Gen Z? Is that your experience of them? My experience is that I have to bite my tongue a lot. <laughs> I have to swallow a lot of um, what I think or believe is important um, because the things that they believe are, are important or possible are completely different. So like, for example, I say like, I have such big vision, you know, about like, we could do this and we could, we should do this and we should love people. We should go out. And then they're like, we can't, uh, Europeans can't go to Africa because that's colonialism. And we, I feel guilt for this. So I can't do this thing because I feel corporate guilt um, or things like that, where I would never, it's like you said, I would never think of feeling corporate guilt and therefore not doing something, but it's something that's so strong on their hearts that, yeah. I don't always know how to relate or what to say. Are they are they uh, young Christians that you're talking about? Okay, so I think there's some stuff in here about them understanding forgiveness and understanding that the cross means that they can that those things have been dealt with mm -hmm. and therefore they are free. You know, there is freedom in the gospel for them from you know that corporate responsibility that they they feel so I, I think there's probably some prayer ministry and some pastoral stuff to do with them on what does what does the gospel mean what does hope mean what does good news mean um, and start with them personally pastorally um, and then 
start to help them dream some dreams themselves. Um, you know, what, what would your dreams be? Okay, how might we do that? Um, and that's quite frustrating if you're a visionary person and you've got people that aren't. But I think it's about trying to help them, yeah, trying to help them grasp that they are forgiven because they're in Christ and therefore God has dreams and good works prepared in advance for them. So what might those be? But I think it's going to involve quite a lot of listening and some theological input and some pastoral prayer ministry is what I honestly think. Um, yeah, so, yeah. I don't know how helpful that is, but those those are my reflections. Putting that in the context of as well, like and um, bringing them into intergenerational relationships, I think mm -hmm. I think that will make sense because, for example, one of them yesterday came to church and she came just to lunch and then she wants to get involved with and um, we're just a team of four girls here right now so she wants to be like around the, us who are a bit older more she's getting more comfortable with being parts of families and stuff so I see like mm -hmm. how those two things could maybe go hand in hand mm -hmm. yeah absolutely yeah thank you I, I think if you say like one more question if there's one more otherwise I think we'll start yeah wrapping up here um, do you have one more question or comment? Thank you, Mariette. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so um, the Lord is challenging me about my attitude instead of my doctrine. Because every time when I talk about how the Lord is addressing my attitude about how I am different from this younger generation, people will always come back to me, yes, but, and they will always quote doctrine as if that is the main top of the tree. Whereas at the moment, the Lord is speaking to me about what is your attitude towards the gender confusion? What is your attitude? Not what's your doctrine? Mm -hmm. Because I don't think I can engage with this generation if my attitude is not changed, instead mm -hmm. of, I know what I believe, but I need to have the attitude mm -hmm. that makes it safe for them to mm -hmm. actually engage me and for me to engage with them. That's really, really helpful. Um, so I preached on 2 Corinthians 5 last night, and there's a, a verse in there, isn't there, where Paul says, um, I can't remember the exact words, but I basically don't, I don't see people the same way anymore. Um, and, and I was really struck by that, that that is one of the things that the Holy Spirit allows us to do is to see through the facade and to see through the social media and see through the aggressive slash defensive slash militant, whatever it is, um, mm. and actually see underneath there is a hurting, confused young man or young woman that just wants to be loved so deeply um, and to be able to kind of put doctrine aside for now and you know and just you know in my case be their mother in your case I guess be their grandma and just just love on them until they feel safe enough to talk about the pain they carry um, because you know coming at people 
doctrinally all you hear is the, the walls the defensiveness goes up um, you can't say that that's not okay that's oppressive you know whereas when we're known and loved and trusted then we we begin to be able i guess to have the right to speak to people because they know that we love them mm. um and when they ask rather than when we think i mean that's the principle of you know that i learned on dts staff you can you can easily see what people need to sort out but until the holy spirit convicts them of that it's pointless you're just literally beating your head against a wall going you need to sort this out but when they come and go the lord said i need to sort this out that's when you know the change can happen isn't it mm. and so i think you're completely right maria i think this is about us loving people well so they feel safe enough to talk about those really deep things the wounds they're carrying mm. and we can help them towards jesus then how how about if we just like end on this note and have the mother and grandmother pray for this generation <laughs> now you said this yes <laughs> Karen. Yeah, that was a bad <laughs> phrase, wasn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Mariette should pray. She's the one with all the holy. <laughs> I, I think both of you. How is that? Because it's an in, in, internet yeah, generational thing. I just wonder if you have a pray, both of you, for this generation and for, for us to get the heart and the right attitude, really, to oh, even right. love. You go first, Mariette. Okay. <laughs> Mm. Heavenly Papa, in the end, you are our Papa, <laughs> regardless <laughs> of the generations. Mm. And we all are so desperate for this love of a father. Mm. And I pray that we, in youth with a mission, will become lovers. Mm. Lovers of Jesus and lovers of every generation. Have mercy on us, Lord, where we are stuck where we are stuck in mindsets and in attitudes and reactions. And we open our hearts to you for mercy to change us. Mm. Thank you. You equip us for the future. Amen. And Father, we recognize that you, you are on a mission and we just get to join in, mm. that your spirit is at work and it's not at work in a way that we're used to. It can feel really dark and confusing because the, the age is changing. The chapter is changing, the page is turning, and we don't know what that means. And we don't know how to be <laughs> on the new page. We don't know how to reach this people group. But Lord, you do, and you love them. You are equidistant to every generation. There has never been a generation that you didn't love, that Jesus didn't die for. And so we pray that you would just grant us wisdom, grant us humility, grant us um, hearts that are undefended. That we would be able to let things go that need to, uh, that need to die mm -hmm. and nurture the things that need to grow. But I pray this not just for YWAM, I pray it for the whole of your church across Europe. Lord, as your, your spirit works powerfully in other places and we see it, 
but we we it's almost like seeing the tide going out here um lord would you give us faith to be resilient would you give us wisdom we we long that in our lifetime we would see the tide turn but we know that you are the god of the ages the beginning and the end the alpha and the omega and we ask that we would know how to partner with you we pray above all else your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven lord would you have mercy amen amen and the people said <laughs> amen yeah good thanks everyone thanks tova thanks ruth thanks, <laughs> yeah